0: Welcome to episode 30 of Literary Disco, the Flowers in the Attic episode. Today we'll begin with a good old-fashioned bookshelf revisit in which Todd, Julia, and I take something down from our bookshelves to discuss. And finally, we will lock ourselves into the oppressive, stifling Uh, attic that is V.C. Andrew's prose as we discuss Flowers in the Attic. Uh. I have actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong, joining me are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and the groaning novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Welcome, guys.
1: Hello. Hi. The whiner. That's what they call me. That's my gang name. Yeah, man. You stepped to the whiner. It's not a very aggressive (laughs) gang. (laughs) It's a Jewish gang. Step into the whiner. Step to the whiner. You got to comes correct, yo. The, or
0: is pal the naysayer. <laughs> yo. <laughs> All right. Who wants to go first uh, with the bookshelf revisit? Great. I will. All right. My bookshelf revisit is specifically the book, The Art of Fiction by John Gardner. Oh, but a But uh, in more general terms, just John Gardner and his novel Grendel too. Um, so, I, the reason I pulled this book down from my shop was in response to somebody posting uh, a comment on our Fault in the Stars episode. Stephanie uh, posted a comment, and in responding to her, I realized I was looking for a phrase from John Gardner's book on writing, and so I pulled the book down, and I was uh, flipping through it, and I just realized how much I love this book. Uh, it's The Art of Fiction. This is probably the best book I've read on writing um, because it is at once the simplest and most direct like he has an entire chapter in here that is some of the coolest like just basic prose advice I've ever found in a writing uh, book in a uh, a writing advice book is that what you would call it or writing yeah yeah. And, but then also he yeah. has some really big ideas that are wonderful. I mean, for instance, the phrase that I was looking for was um, uh, a vivid, continuous dream, which is how he describes what the writer should be looking for in their prose. So, you know, whether it's a, a really out there fable or a tale or he has all these own ter- his own terms that he creates. But um, basically his, his, his idea of the vivid and continuous dream is that no matter how realistic or unrealistic what you're writing about is you have to convince the reader of its realism with the strength of your prose and the rigor of your imagination and it's just such a great way of thinking about writing and he basically tells you to just stop trying to be tricky stop trying to put on errors and be as straightforward as possible and and allow the story to be organic and kind of speak for itself you know he, he's very anti-imposing things like metaphors or thematics into your writing um i don't know what do you think todd i mean you teach writing all the time so does this book ever come up or do you
1: yeah it comes up all the time i think you know i that was a textbook of mine when i was an undergraduate um and i really ascribe to my own students the simple and direct um method because i think a lot of times with a young writer specifically and, and by young I, I don't mean in age, I just mean sort of as a beginning writer, um, they want to they wanna tack on eight thousand adjectives to right. things they want to be metaphorical, they want everything to, you know, exist in right. a dream or you know, crazy stuff like that. Um, and invariably I, I say, you know, sometimes a chair is just a chair, sometimes, you know, love is just love, sometimes things are just things. And so being simple and direct I think is is the way a lot of great writing Affects us because we don't have to extend ourselves yeah. to understand the moment. So I always use um, the short story the things they carried as the perfect example of being simple and direct mm-hmm. because it's a it's basically a list story for you know three-fourths of it and Tim O'Brien is just listing all the things they carry but he goes from the specific like guns to the Metaphorical which is you know they carried the weight of the things they carried mm-hmm. things like that and um, and but it's the process of going from the simple to the complex that makes the reader feel like they're actually carrying all these things along with the reader so i i I think it's a a great book and i think um that i wonder if he's going to be one of those writers that and if that book is going to be one of those books that sort of falls away because a different generation used it and read it a lot um you know if if it's going to i I think now like stephen king's on writing is more of the go-to book for people when they're looking for books about writing versus John Gardner's book, but it's a classic. That and points of view points of view was really helpful to me too. It's a a great book that goes through all the points of view and and talks about them and and about uh, different ways to write stories and stuff. It's an old classic book I haven't thought about in years. You know,
2: I don't think it will fall away because if, my habits or anything like anyone else is like, I can't get enough of these kind of books. Like I love that book and I love Stephen King's on writing and they are so different in what they're for in my mind, you know, like Stephen King's is so much about, you know, the spirit of writing and not making excuses and working hard and in a really frank way that is, well, I don't know. There's crap stuff in there too, but I always think of it as more of a, Manifesto on the writing life
0: Yeah I think I mean I want to read something from this book Because he does have uh, Layers of inspirational kind of stuff So like this one Sanity in a writer is merely this However stupid he may be in his private life He never cheats in writing He never forgets that his audience is, at least ideally, as noble, generous, and tolerant as he is himself, or more so. And never forgets that he is writing about people, so that to turn characters to cartoons, to treat his characters as innately inferior to himself, to forget their reasons for being as they are, to treat them as brutes, is bad art. It's great stuff like that. It's good stuff, Yeah. yeah. And see, yeah, and then and then he also just has really basic like where to put your commas and words to avoid and how to use quotations. You know, stuff that's really fun. And yeah. and of course he lays down those kinds of rules and then says throw them all out if they're not working for you. I mean, he's not didactic to a, a you know to a fault. It's it's a great book, but it also reminded me of his incredible novel Grendel, which everybody should read. Yeah, that's it a remarkable is, piece of fiction. Everyone listening to this, I hope knows uh, the epic poem Beowulf. And Grendel is John Gardner's uh, reinterpretation of Beowulf through the eyes of Grendel, the monster from Beowulf. Uh, and it's just incredible. I mean, if I remember correctly, he avoids all Latin-based words. Mm-hmm. Like, that's insane. To write a oh incredibly God. poetic, beautiful novel, and he never uses a Latin-based word because the novel takes place, of course, in Anglo-Saxon, you know, pre Latin uh, times it's it's remarkable, but Is it's still so possible? beautiful.
2: Jesus,
1: it's fucking I, crazy. It, it, you,
0: that that requires like a, an
1: Einstein level of intelligence or such complete obsessive compulsiveness <laughs> as to be maddening. I can't. I, I don't even know enough Latin to not do to. to try to leave a non-Latin word out of a sentence,
0: much less a fucking book. Well, here's a really weird thing that that somebody pointed out to me when I was a teenager is that no English word over three syllables is not Latin-based.
2: Wrong. Pajama.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it was four. Uh...
2: (laughs) I'm just saying, so pajama is derived from India and uh, Hindu, so there's all, all right. these words we've appropriated <laughs> into the English Word language. Word to your mother. That's what... <laughs> that, that was really aggressive, huh? There's... <laughs> there's
1: <Yeah>. Pajama! Wrong! <laughs> wrong! <laughs> Sucking John Gardner. You've been pajama, bitch. No, yeah, this wasn't John Gardner. This was, this was me. She was talking to I me. Just, right? I just mean was... that what's,
2: what's great about English is that it's so com- complex, and we've taken a lot of words from a lot of different places, so... I think there. Yeah. No, of
0: course, it's always growing. Yeah. But I think, like, if in a pretty as a pretty, as a general rule, if something is over three syllables, it's Latin. Yeah, based. and
2: you know why? It's Was, because the prefixes and suffixes, like Asian, and things like that, yep. or you know, apolitical. Yeah, that's Latin-based. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you can put all those Latin roots on everything. I took Greek and Latin roots in college. I really liked it.
1: My, my bookshelf revisit is pretty closely related to this actually okay
2: go for it um
1: and i think you guys will see this obviously so let me preface this by saying a brief story oh
0: god <laughs> 25 minutes later
1: so uh i was up in the bay area last week uh visiting my friend todd and uh, he says hello writer and okay. uh so i was driving around my old hometown and looking at all the sites and whatnot and um I was admonished by Wendy, my wife, to not go cry- crazy buying um, t-shirts and uh, gear for all of my favorite bear sports teams, including the shirt that I'm wearing now.
2: Bam. I didn't listen. Didn't listen. Nope. Disobedient. <laughs>
1: Disobedient. Like, I went crazy. I bought Latin-based shit word. everywhere. I went everywhere and bought everything. So... But as I was buying all of my sports memorabilia when I was up in the Bay Area, uh, I was remembering how I used to, and this is the actual bookshelf for a visit, and this is the highbrow portion of it, how I used to always buy the autobiographies of athletes of the local sports teams that came out just so I could understand them <laughs> really deeply, the philosophy of being a baseball player. And I, I, I just ordered this book. Uh, off the internet machine, I don't actually have it with me, but I had a favorite book, <laughs> it's, and it, I'm sure it's horrible. It was called They Call Me Assassin by Jack Tatum, who played uh, safety and cornerback for uh, the Oakland Raiders. And in my mind, Jack Tatum had written this book. Jack Tatum hit people with his face for a living, <laughs> and this book was about all the people he had messed up over his years playing football. And he had to write this book because he was trying to clean up his image a little bit by turning out a book called They Call Me Assassin, because he had actually paralyzed a guy in a game, a guy named Daryl Stingley, whose book I also have. Uh, Daryl Stingley's book is called uh, Happy to be Alive, um, whereas Jack Tatum's book is called They Call Me Assassin. Oh, God. yeah. So I was remembering all this and thinking, "Oh my God, how weird about these two parallel books. But also that I like I had like maybe thirty of these books, these books by athletes, and I thought they were written by the athletes. And of course, they were written by, you know, ghost writers and local journalists and things like that. But They Call Me Assassin, I read that book over and over and over and over and over again. I can tell you, I remember lines from the book. Like, I I remember scenes from Jack Tatum's life, Mm -hmm. and there's no, like, I was 10 years old, 11 years old, reading this autobiography of a, a football player who, his main job was to go out there and hit people in the head as hard as he possibly could, and how much joy he took from knocking people out, and how... He sort of felt a little bad about paralyzing this guy, Daryl Stingley, but, you know, it's part of the game. And then I remember reading Daryl Stingley's autobiography, and it was about how Jack Tatum paralyzed him and never even came to see him in the hospital, oh, never apologized. And I, thinking about it now, I'm thinking, you know, wow, what a, what a bizarre series of books that I read. And then number two, what a fucking asshole Jack Tatum must have been. And how weird it was that I loved these books, but I was such an ardent sports fan, I always tried to find out more about um, about the athletes themselves. And then I would read books about um, coaching, because I was not a very good athlete, um, because I'm a Jew. And so I thought, well, I love sports, maybe I'll get into coaching. And so I'd read all these strategy Honorable. books. and. Yeah, and it turned out, uh, strategy books aren't really good if you can't conceptualize in your mind how to actually do anything because you don't have any athletic ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking all about that stuff this week as I was, uh, up there in the Bay Area, and, uh, and then when I got home, I, I pulled out the Daryl Stingley book and read a little bit of it, and it's, uh, horribly written, and then I had to look it up, and Daryl Stingley is dead. I did not know that. He had died. Um... <laughs> But he had been in a wheelchair for like you know twenty five years or something. I'm
2: sorry. How is this related to classics?
1: It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the least. <laughs> it's uh, it's not related to deep thinking in the least. It was my my entertainment as a child that I've been thinking about.
0: So there you go. Yeah. All right, Julia. What did you uh, pull down from your shelf?
2: Okay, guys. All right. So long ago, we recorded an episode that. The audio was so bad that we didn't release it. Remember that? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes, so, that's
2: right. <laughs> for mine, that's
0: gone. I believe all of our audio was so bad. I think one person's audio was really bad in particular. Yeah, that might have been mine. <laughs> the, the robot voice, Todd. The robot voice came Todd. on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: th- th- this gives uh, this gives completists out there something to search for, the lost episode of Literary Disco. Uh,
2: yeah, and they have to find uh, Stephen Dow's episode as well.
1: Oh, right, on his phone. That's correct. Um,
2: anyway, in that episode, I read a little bit from The Great Gatsby. Um, oh, that's right. That was an great. An amazing paragraph, which I will read again. I'm happy to do it. But um, yes, my revisit is a... Uh, It's a story that anyone who follows me on Twitter, I'm sure, observed. I'm sure you guys saw it. Um, So I decided that I changed my mind, and I did want to see the Gatsby movie um, this weekend when it came out. My expectations were rock bottom, but I decided I wanted to see it. And not only that, but I decided I wanted to see it that day that I made this decision. But uh, Greg... Did you see
0: it in 3D?
2: No. Um So, Greg has been trying to read The Great Gatsby, who's my other half, or whatever. My fiancé, the word I hate.
1: My abdomen. My abdomen. He's my abdomen.
2: Um, So, he's been trying to read it, like, for years. He just, he'll he'll start it, he'll read, like, a chapter and then stop so i got so annoyed by this that on this day I just what do
1: these eyes mean <laughs> what's up with these eyes
2: i don't get the eyes that is actually very close to a real conversation you go, is it a billboard is it a billboard <laughs> yes so i got so annoyed so who I, has a green
0: light i mean that's just absurd <laughs>
2: what's it for it's like a lighthouse i mean come on <laughs> so anyway um uh, so I decided around noon that I wanted to see the movie and I get out of work at 4. So, or I get out of work at 4.30, but I left early because I decided that that day I would read Greg cover to cover the entirety of The Great Gatsby before the movie was playing at 10.10 10 p.m., which I did.
0: <laughs> Are you serious?
2: You guys didn't see this? Oh, my God.
1: I-, I saw it. I-, I didn't realize it was that quick.
2: Oh, yeah. So I I... Greg walked in the door and I was like, we're doing this. And he had a night where he didn't say a word for like eight and a half hours.
1: Uh, My wife's dream.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was an ideal (laughs) introvert extrovert experience. Um, and I just talked nonstop for that whole time. And we read there's nine chapters at the end of chapter eight. Um, it was like 9.45, so we stopped, and we went and saw the movie, so Greg got the suspense of not knowing what happens in the last, you know, 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and then we read the last uh, chapter. But it ended up being, I know you hate re- reading aloud, Todd, but it was so awesome to spontaneously give like an entire unbroken amount of time to this book. And what's even more amazing about it is that it took very little time for me to start losing my mind and seeing seeing greg like as gatsby or nick carraway so (laughs) what i did was i every chapter i like picked a line and i instagrammed a picture of greg doing all this shit while i was reading to him like eating garlic bread or uh you know doing laundry and i put them all up in a row with alongside these pictures of uh or alongside these quotes from the book. And it was really hilarious. So that was just like a great literary night that I had. It was amazing.
1: How, how was the movie?
2: Oh, guys. Uh, um.
1: I was going to see it. And then I decided, w- once I found out that the framing device was that Nick is in a sanitarium, yes. that was it. I, there's no way I'm going to enjoy it.
2: Happy to talk about this. Okay, so my I, I was so afraid this movie would be horrible that I decided not to see it at all. Um, so that's how low my expectations were. So when I suddenly changed my mind, it turned out that I was pleasantly surprised. I thought most of the movie was good. It was, it was fine. What's good about it is that every single line of dialogue is actually a line from the novel, which I was hyper aware of because I just read the whole fucking thing out loud.
1: <laughs> I just, I just recorded my own audio book, which is for sale on audible.com now. <laughs>
2: Actually, I'm not sure if I saw the movie or just hallucinated, but, (laughs) um, and all the details, like the costumes, they're all straight from descriptions. So it's actually extremely faithful and the least Baz luhrmann movie I've ever seen of all Baz Luhrmann movies. So that, all that was fine. The framing device was so horrible. It made me want to murder someone and then myself because, (laughs) yeah. the framing device is that Nick Carraway. It's a, it's like zooms in on a piece of paper that's like alcoholic, oh, God. depressed, blah blah blah. And then the therapist, there's the therapist guy, of course. What do you guys think happens? What do you think his suggestion? Write
1: this all down as your memoir. Write it down.
2: Oh, Write it God. down. I, 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 I
1: can't I can't see it for that that I mean that I would if I had not known that and then saw it in the movie I would have gotten up and walked out. So I'm just not going to go see it. I'm, I just don't understand angry.
0: why anybody adapts them. Like, why? It's a great book. Why? I don't understand the the, the, the zeal for adaptation that we're undergoing. Like, it doesn't. It, it's like if it's a great book, why does that mean it's going to be a good movie? Because what's great about the book is not. It, like, it's
1: not. It's not that we're undergoing it now. I mean, it's been it's been this way since books and movies existed. They've always adapted a lot of stuff. You know, you look at the history of the the best pictures. Or the Best Picture nominees, and there's usually, you know, half or adaptations. Yeah, but I feel
0: like nowadays, there's some—and I haven't really thought this through, but I, there, there's something— I, I do think that there's something different about the way that people read books and then go see movies nowadays. I think that the, the idea that a book is going to be adapted into a film is, like, more of a collective— Conscious effort, you know, like the Baltimore star is a good example Like everyone had like all the fans of that book are giving their approval or disapproval of the casting choices That's really crazy. Like mm-hmm. like They're, they're going yeah. to be making this movie for those fans So they have to appeal to those fans And it's just so weird to me that like fans of the book are so excited about the movie It's like well if you like the book then you like your own private version of the movie So why do you want there to be a movie that takes that away from you or changes that? But then, I feel like ever since the Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, like there's this there's you know this culture of adaptation and the the way that you view those movies is different. Like I remember people walking out of Harry Potter and being like, "Oh yeah, they got it. They got it right." And it's like, got what right? Like, your private imaginings became the movie correctly? Or like, I, they made the most obvious choices, so it was a one-to-one ratio, they didn't screw it up? Like, what are we, What what is that pleasure? It seems like it's a different type of pleasure than when you walk into a movie where you don't know what's going to happen, and you just enjoy where it takes you. It's like this weird, like, different type of viewership, yeah. and I'm not quite sure what it means about our culture, but it's something that's happening more and more, where it's like, it, it, it's almost, like, obligatory for a movie to be made. And it's obligatory for us to judge its adaptation. I mean, even this, Great Gatsby, it's like, I don't know. I I, I just find it weird. I mean, we, we went through this with Life of well, Pi, yeah, too.
2: Yeah, well, and then I saw, you know, and my favorite fantasy YA novel um, is not Harry Potter. It's the Golden Compass series. And that was made into a
1: horrible, horrible movie. Horrible, horrible movie. movie.
2: So bad. So bad. Don't see it. Not worth it. Like, I have blacked out most of it. I feel like when that movie came out and it was so bad and then they didn't make the sequels, which in the book world are even more amazing than the first book. Um, they're really great books. I highly recommend them. Um, I felt like people stopped reading the books. Like, the books became less popular because the movie was bad.
1: But you know what's interesting, and, and prior to this, you just made me think of this, is how weird it is that the books that are made into films, there is a huge percentage of people who know everything that's going to happen. It's a very strange movie going right. experience when you know everything that's going to happen. And it's not like you are surprised by things you're judging versus yes. spectating.
0: Exactly. I guess in a weird way, it's a way for people to become filmmakers, you know, in their own mind. Mm-hmm. Like how would I do it? Who would I yeah. cast? How would, you know, so it becomes a sort of uh, role playing of filmmakerness.
2: I, I just think in the case of Gatsby, it, was the reason I didn't want to see it is that to me, the idea of shooting this excessive, like, glitzy thing exactly is exactly the opposite, right? The right. Opposite of the idea of the book, of the idea of you know, this like ap- apprehensiveness towards this culture of new money versus old money. Of you know the false trappings, right? Because
0: in visualizing right. it, it becomes a celebration, yes. right? Just just by the act of visualizing these big parties, we're, we as film viewers are engaging and enjoying the glitz and the glamour. So we are right. participating in what the book is <laughs> expressly against. Yeah,
2: and and. Exactly, exactly. And it's the same exact thing that um, happens with the Hunger Games. It's like, yay, let's all go watch a movie about teens yes. killing each other. And it's like, well, that is the exact point of the right. book.
0: You're, you're <laughs> becoming the audience that's critical, right. that we're, we're being critical of <laughs> when we read the book. Right. I
2: will say, I, I will say that they did it, they did exactly what I hoped they would do, see it now on these people that you're talking about, Ryder, because what the Hunger Games did was, um, be aware of that and show people watching. Right. The, you know what I mean? So they put in extra stuff to, to do that. All right, you guys want to hear this paragraph that I read in the last episode? This is the initial description of Gatsby's party. And, um, It's just the most beautiful description of a party I've ever read. So hyperbole is over. Here I go. By seven o'clock, the orchestra had arrived. No thin five piece affair, but a whole pit full of oboes and trombones and saxophones and violas and coronets and piccolos and low and high drums. The last swimmers have come in from the beach now and are dressing upstairs. The cars from New York are parked five deep in the drive, and already the halls and salons and verandas are gaudy with primary colors and hair shorn in strange new ways and shawls beyond the dreams of Castile. The bar is in full swing. And my cat's coming to the sound (laughs) of my voice. The bar is in full swing and floating rounds of cocktails permeate the garden outside until the air is alive with chatter and laughter and casual innuendo and introductions forgotten on the spot and enthusiastic meetings between women who never knew each other's names. The lights grow brighter as the earth lurches away from the sun. And now the orchestra is playing yellow cocktail music and the opera voices pitches a key higher. Laughter is easier minute by minute, spilled with prodigality, tipped out at a cheerful word. The groups change more swiftly, swell with new arrivals, dissolve and form in the same breath. Already there are wanderers, confident girls, who weave here and there among the stouter and more stable, become for a sharp, joyous moment the center of a group, and then, excited with triumph, glide on through the sea change of faces and voices and color under the constantly changing light.
1: At Fitzgerald turns out, uh,
2: not a hack. Not a He's hack. Right.
1: Not a hack. He's no Baz Lurman. um... But,
2: uh, and what I love about that passage, too, is it's so about the you know, this like particular minute in women's history where women were becoming more independent, mm-hmm. and it's just all there in the paragraph.
1: Yeah, it's good great. stuff. All right, well, I think it's time that we have to start talking about uh, Flowers in the Attic, so we're going to play that funky music, and then we're going to come back and try not to cry as we talk about, I think what we can all agree is, the worst book we've ever read in the history of literary disco, <laughs> not called Pillars of the Earth. So stick around, everybody. We'll be back.
0: Welcome back to Literary Disco. Today we are discussing a uh, a book that is infamous. I w- I would call this book infamous. Yes. I wouldn't yes. call it a classic. No, but I would call it infamous. No, I would not Why call it a would
2: classic. would even suggest that? It's a possibility
0: <laughs> because it is a classic preteen. I think every girl has read this book. It's one of the biggest bestsellers.
2: I have not read this. Book. You hadn't. You didn't read this I... book when you were a kid. No. Nope. Okay. No, this was my first time. When I was
1: a kid, everyone read this book. Uh, I read this book when I was a kid. I don't remember being... uh, We'll get into it.
0: So, uh, (laughs) Flowers in the Attic was first published by V.C. Andrews, uh, or Virginia Andrews, um, actually, Cleo Virginia Andrews. In 1979, (laughs) it was her first book, um, and it spawned an entire series, and then a whole series of series, because she created a pattern with this book about... um, Incest? Families. Uh, basically, okay. all the book series were about, you know, families with secrets and incest. She created a pattern. It was a five book pattern, I learned from Wikipedia, um, mm, for each one thanks, of the series. Ripie. It would start with a point of view, with one character's point of view, and then move on to their children, and then eventually go back for a prequel in the final book. Oh. So, this is uh, the Flowers in the Attic is part of the Dolan Ganger series. Is that how we think yes. it's pronounced? Or it's Dolan Dolan Ganger, Dollenganger. Yeah.
1: The Dolling
0: Ganger family, Uh, and it's still her most famous. Every preteen girl in America, I swear, in the eighties and nineties, read this book. I don't know if it's still true, although I guess it's still a bestseller. Uh, All told, there are forty-four books published under VC Andrews' name, but she actually only wrote, I think, nine. Yeah, and she's dead. Yeah. So what happened is she 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 died. She died, but they um, they hired a guy named andrew niederman to write the rest of the books and keep it under wraps that she was dead wait
2: did they cover up her death because that's totally something dc andrews would do uh,
0: well <laughs> she had, she had this whole mystery
1: background about who she was and everything but andrew niederman right. um lives down the street from me here in the lovely coachella valley so basically the greater palm springs area and uh is very active socially um he, but uh, he
0: doesn't still write them, right? The books are done. I,
1: I believe. I believe they're done. He's uh, he's about four feet tall. Um, he often, when I've seen him, was wearing a cowboy hat and had a wife who was about six foot three.
0: And was he able to capture this masterful voice uh, of this? I, I've never read any of his. <laughs> Did books. Did he use the phrase "golly gee"? Oh God! Golly lolly. I, uh, so yeah, th- this book. This book is horrible. Oh, I think it's, it's safe to say. It, um, it is incredibly strange. It's. It's. Let's just talk about the plot for a second, in case anybody well, has been living under b- a rock. Before for the last we Before we years. talk about the plot, though,
1: I, I just need to make a blanket statement that I will then repeat. It is the worst book
0: I have ever read.
2: I think it could be the worst book I've ever read, also.
0: Wow, you guys are really willing to say that. I am not. I am not willing to say it's the worst book I've ever read, and we'll get into why.
2: Name three books worse that you've read.
0: Uh. <laughs> like
1: like this is this is worse than like when I was teaching at UCLA extension intro to fiction classes and people would bring in their 900-page fantasy novel that had been living under their bed and they were horrible writers and everything was about you know, it was, it, it's worse than unpublished crap by mental patients. It's just—it's okay, well, the just worst book the I've ever so we read. the it out there. So
0: this—this the, the, this is the story—the of Ganger family, oh, and uh, specifically, Kathy is our narrator, and well, they all have C names, so it gets a little confusing. But it's there's four kids in the family. There's Kathy who's narrating it, and her brother Chris, who's older, slightly older. I think he's 14 when the book starts, and Kathy's 12. And then they have two younger twin siblings, Corey and Carrie... And all four of them end up locked in an <laughs> attic. Their mother locks them in an attic in this huge mansion that their grandmother and grandfather live in. I think and you And their mean grandfather can't know that they exist. The
2: grandmother and the grandfather.
0: Right. right. So the grandmother is this <laughs> evil religious figure who wants them to be punished because they are the product of incest. Their mother and father were related. Their father was actually their, her half-uncle. Yes, her half-uncle. <laughs> which who, is these, actually their mother's
1: half-uncle. It's one of the strangest incestuous relationships because
0: it's... Y- your How uncle is that. your uncle. Your half-uncle. Yeah. I mean, it's just... a Oh,
1: that's just preposterous. Yeah.
0: So, suffice to say, the four 300-page book? 400. 400-page 400. 400 400. book <laughs> takes place in the confines of the attic, and uh, these kids sort of trying to create a pseudo-family in this attic where they can't go outside and ultimately chris and kathy form a love relationship very much
2: Sorted.
0: and then it, it, it's kind of a you know it becomes like they're the parents and cory and carrie the, the young twins are their kids but it actually does get sexual and i think that's why this book is so infamous mm-hmm. because it's you know kids trapped in an attic which is already pretty seedy and and uh and then you have incest thrown in there so,, uh, we already expressed that we all hated this book, but there are degrees of hate oh. and I did not hate it as much as you guys, mostly because I found it so i mean it Hilarious? was kind of i mean it reminds me of fifty shades of gray, but even more over the top and um I guess there's just a baroque quality to this book, like yes, you have to there's... you have to if you're setting out to write a book about four children locked in an attic, you have to have some kind of sense of I don't know, fun. I I wouldn't say irony, because this book is not ironic at all. And it's certainly not tongue-in-cheek at all. But there's a, there's a there's an element of like deliciousness that you can feel. Like she's enjoying this CD the seedy factor of this book, uh, which in yeah, some ways yeah. is, yes. is, is is in some ways and especially, you know, we chose to read this book actually before uh the recent kidnapping yes. story that happened in Cleveland. Oh, right. And I I, I kind of thought it was it was a little bit of bad taste for us to be reading this book at this time. Um, and then thinking about that while reading this book, I w- it almost seemed like the book itself was written in bad taste in the sense that it's making a – it's sort of like porn in a way. Like for – it's like torture porn. You know, it's its the idea of these kids being so screwed up. And as a reader, that's part of the enjoyment of the book is like to see how twisted mm-hmm. it's going to get um, and to see how far the, in- the ancestral relationship is going to go. I mean, there's definitely a lurid quality. Oh, yeah. Um, attractiveness and and so on one hand I find that morally objectionable in light of like the Cleveland kidnappings and when I really think about it on the other hand that is kind of what saved the book for me a little bit because it felt like she had to know that that was what she was writing she had to know that you know she was going to be drawing in a certain reader who wanted to explore the dark recesses of something like this but without it being realistic realistic at all i mean there's nothing realistic about this book it, it the plot is so fake it, it's so strained in order to achieve it doesn't, it doesn't it's not make like you're reading... sense.
2: like the mother no no, the no sense at all <laughs> the mother is amazing and then once the mother is offered the possibility of wealth she locks her children in an attic forever without thinking about it it's so ridiculous well,
1: and it's not even the possibility of wealth so we should note this so the the Mother and the Father, uh, on his it's his birthday, right? That he dies in a car accident. and and so the Mother can't figure out a way to earn a living because they have faked their entire backgrounds. She's never worked a day in her life. And so she can't go get a job uh, to raise her children. She has to go, you know, move back in with her parents basically. she writes a series of letters to her evil grandparents or her evil parents. Asking that they be able to move back in, the grandmother's condition is that the children be kept away from the grandfather, who has disinherited the daughter for having sex with his her uncle um, and marrying him. So it's this preposterous setup that could easily be. uh, I mean, the the fact that she decides, yeah, okay, I'm gonna lock my kids in the fucking attic. Yeah. Uh, what, what I wait for my grand my, for my father to die is absurd. She could go get a job at fucking McDonald's or something. Yeah. Um, she can she can go on welfare. She doesn't need to pretend to be someone else
0: because she hasn't committed a crime. But that's what I mean. But see, I mean, I don't think you could possibly have written this book without knowing that what you were enticing your reader with was the absurdity. And I don't know. I, that's yeah. why I give it a pass in a certain way. Like I feel like she was she's she's not necessarily winking at the audience in in the prose at all no. but there is a level of just there is a level of absurdity Well, it's that like it's like,
1: like, like I mean she she name checks weathering Heights in here and that's not you know that's, that's not, not okay. by accident you know it's also right. not she okay wa-
2: with me it,
1: no it's not okay <laughs> it, I mean it's intentionally gothic it has to be intentionally gothic they're tr- they're they're locked in a the right. most opulent mansion possible I mean they're basically right. Um, the Vanderbilts, anything. you know? I mean, right. They have a key.
2: They have a key <laughs> to get out of their room. They have a window to get
0: yeah. out of by the time, By the time the <laughs> 17-year-old man who is, let's just say he rapes his sister. Yeah. By the time he rapes his sister but doesn't stand up to his grandmother physically, the, it's absurd. The, like, it is the, so absurd. The grandmother. Uh, all, that a 14-year-old boy would let himself get locked oh. into an attic for four years. Is that how long they're there? Four years? Three years. Three years. <laughs> uh it's just insane. I mean, to the point where their their youngest brother. I mean, I, we should just sit spoiler, in spoiler alert. Spoil youngest brother dies, and it turns out <laughs> the grandmother's it's been poisoning them all along. No, their mother. The mother. I'm sorry.
2: Come on, oh, Todd. So but, okay, I... Oh, man. I think you're right, though, Ryder. Like, obviously, she was like, okay, I want to write a book about these kids locked in the attic. Ugh, what plot do I have to make up to just get them in there? You know, that's Just a, get
0: them in there. Yeah, that's <laughs> the
2: thing. And it's like... And as
0: a reader, you know it's coming because you're just waiting. The title and, like, my, my cover has two blonde... People, clearly related brother and sister <laughs> about to kiss so I mean it's obvious that from a marketing standpoint you know what you're in for and you know you're just you know you're just waiting for the dirty parts like that's the whole point of yes. this book and I, I and the dirty parts are very safe like in, in that, that, that yes, yeah. they're not there it's it's and it's also all from the perspective of a 12 year old girl becoming a woman so I I, I found this great article by by uh, emily Bazelon, who is like my hero mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys know yeah. who she is Sweet. um she's a co-host of uh, the slate political gab fest and then just a great writer yeah. and um but she wrote an essay talking about this book and 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 it's online everybody should look at i'll put a link on our fa- on our page but she talks about um how it's a it's a perfect book for 11 uh, year old girls because here she says she gets to act the, the main character Kathy gets to act out all of an eleven year old girl's worst fears about sex without becoming evil. Mm. <laughs> because it's a way for as a reader you to identify with the main character and the main character doesn't actually make any. I mean she's just a victim start to finish. I mean it's very similar to Fifty Shades of Grey in some yeah, ways oh, and, yeah. the, and, and and Twilight like these are books where the female main character is entirely passive and uh victimized by some kind of crazy otherworldly experience that happens to them and i think that for young women readers those for whatever reason they strike a chord but the here's
1: the thing though is that even before they're locked in the attic what we find out is that when they were just living in the the house with uh, mom and dad and the siblings that they were all nude all the time and there was sharing already
2: the
1: sharing the bathroom, which is evil. Um, <laughs> so there was already like
0: weird stuff going on in the house before they had to live in the attic. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, and so, Lou Bazelon points out the the, the descriptions of. The mom, like in her negligence yeah. and like yeah. the descriptions of the father's kiss, it's like yes. the incest is there and, the, it's and already the, built into the And doesn't the, of the mom, I, I mean,
1: I, my my parents didn't kiss their children on the lips. I don't know if your parents did, but the, doesn't the mom kiss them
0: on the lips also?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, so, that yeah. That great. That's I mean, that's. But
0: it's creepy the way it's, it's described. Way it's it's, described. It is, yes. it's creepy the way it's described. It's definitely creepy the way it's described. I mean,
2: the whole like setup, you can tell she just wants to get to the incest. Like the whole entire book. Yes. Like she's. Uh, VC Andrews is as excited as the reader to get to an incest. Like, the rules that are laid down for the attic oh, are highs. god! The rules are like, so, and some of these is like, okay, I can dig it. You're going to lock some kids in an attic. These would be the rules.
1: It's a, it's a <laughs> lot of Fuck fucking there's, there's 20 rules, though. It's so yes, many true. rules. But hang
2: on. The rules are like, one, don't make any noise. Two, don't use the bathroom together because you'll probably end up having incestual relations.
0: God. The, no,
2: the grandma so is just, she is just setting them up she's for just it. Got,
0: she's got incest on the and brain. It, yeah. all, well, because they are the product of incest. Like, that's what I couldn't believe. I was like, so... Because when when that plot point, that amazing <laughs> plot point was revealed, I was like, this wait is a minute. Shocking this book plot is about <laughs> incest, and I know that this brother and sister are going to sleep together because it's on the cover of the book, but that I was like, but so they're actually going to fulfill the prophecy of the grandmother who says because they're the product of incest, they will inevitably, uh, you know, have sex with each other, or how do you, how do you verb incest? Uh, you
2: incest. Perform incest? You do
0: incest? Do you incest? Can... <laughs> no, I don't do incest. I don't, I don't know how you were raised, but. Well, Anyway. You know that they're going to incest with one another. <laughs> <laughs> that they're going to have an incestuous relationship.
1: Would, shall we read some of the rules, by the way? One, you you are always to be fully dressed. Two. Oh, yeah, that's rule number one. That's, that's number one. Two, you'll never take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, these are simple. These, that's biblical. Three, you're never to open the draperies, n- not even to peek out you are never to speak to me. That's number four. Number five, you'll keep this room neat. All right. Okay. Six, you'll you'll never be idle. Fine. Seven, you'll clean your teeth. Okay, great. Eight, if I ever catch boys and girls using the bathrooms at the same time, I will quite relentlessly and without mercy, peel the skins from your backs. Number one, when, when writing
0: rules, who the fuck writes like that? Like,
1: Let let me get relentlessly in there.
0: Well, even, I mean, and there's also this very, very strange sadomasochistic scene with the mother. Oh, yeah. Coming into the parent, into the kids' attic, and having to humiliate herself by showing them the whip marks that her mother had just given her. And it, it totally felt like this bizarre yeah like s&m thing i was like oh this this book is so weird it's so and i guess that weirdness is kind of what i liked about it oh, yeah. i mean that that is the only point of this book it's like it's comparable to a saw movie or something you know, it's like, it's but, but let so me ask absurd. you a,
1: an important question so grandma makes these rules but she's also she's crazy because she she agrees to lock four children two boys two girls in an attic together to live i think that's and her, her idea Right, and her 12th rule is you will refrain from looking at members of the opposite sex unless it is absolutely necessary.
2: Well, I if you're know. locked
0: in a fucking attic with people of the opposite sex, how could it be anything but necessary? Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's so interesting that this book is picked up by... I mean, it's essentially a YA book as far as its readership goes. I mean, I don't think adults ever really read this book, do they? I, or, it,
1: it was a sensation when I was a kid. It was, it was a sensation. Yeah.
0: right. And that's what I remember too. And I, I and I you know, my fiance Alex, when she saw me reading it, she admitted that she read it when she was uh, actually she said she was probably in high school when she read it. But I guess it's just, it's interesting to me that that it's so it's such a scandalous subject and it's so titillating, but it's not. It's it's. I mean, it's it's actually pretty safe, right? I yeah. mean, they do have sex. They have one rapey sex it's in common. It's not rapey. Okay, I, just, I finally just found it. Can we... It's not rapey. He admits. No, no, he says, I'm, I'm sorry I raped you. No, what I'm saying sorry.
2: is it's not rapey. Sorry. It is literally rape. I was oh. very uh, right. Yeah, so...
1: so. <laughs> I it thought is that you were defending it along no, no. between It is actually and rape. It is literally no. and actually rape. So
2: yeah. So can I? Can we read a little bit?
0: <laughs>
1: that, here? that is actually a valid but answer. It's, Julia.
2: Doesn't she
0: actually? She turns it on herself and says, yes. "I dressed really sexy." Yes, for yes, yes. It's yes. like, You're locked in an uh. attic with your 17 year old brother. He just raped you, and then you forgive him and say, "I wore shirt, short skirts." Rape her at knife point. For God's <laughs> sake. No, oh. there wasn't a knife involved. Scissor, scissor point.
2: Yeah, we have to read it. <laughs> Okay. Oh. Does anybody want to uh, narrate? I'll narrate. It's in her voice. Okay. So one of you can jump in as Chris whenever you're ready to start defending a rape. <laughs> <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll be Chris, you,
1: and I'll, I'll just silently moan in the background. Okay. To, like the you can wind. Be,
2: you can be two dying twins who are otherwise meaningless. All right. Okay, Later, we went out on the roof. Long strings of clouds. Blew across the face of the full moon so it would duck and hide, then peek out again. And on the roof, on a night that was made for lovers, we cried in each other's arms. He hadn't meant to do it, and I had never meant to let him. The fear of the baby that might be the result of one single kiss (laughs) on mustache, lips, that's the stepfather guy, rose high in my throat and hesitated on my tongue. It was my worst fear, more than hell or God's wrath. I feared giving birth to a monstrous baby, deformed, a freak, an idiot. But how could I speak of this? Already he was suffering enough. However, his thoughts were more knowledgeable than mine.
0: The odds are all against a baby. He said Just one time. There won't be a conception. I swear, there won't be another time. No matter what, I'll castrate myself before I'll let it happen again. (laughs) Fucking Christ.
2: Then he had pulled me (laughs) tightly against him, so I was crushed so hard it hurt my ribs.
0: Don't hate me, Kathy. Please don't hate me. I didn't mean to rape you, I swear to God. There's been many a time when I've been tempted, and I was able to turn it off. I'd leave the room, go into the bathroom or into the attic. I'd bury my nose in a book until I felt normal again.
2: Tight as I could, i wrapped wrap my arms around him. I don't hate you, Chris, I whispered, pressing my head tightly against his chest. You didn't rape me. I could have stopped you if I really wanted to. <laughs> uh,
1: See, to this, was... this very book is why conservative Republicans think there are levels of rape.
2: All I had to do was <laughs> bring my knee up hard where you told me to. It was my fault, too. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then this is back in her head. Oh, yes, my fault, too. I should have known better than to kiss Mama's handsome young husband. I shouldn't have worn skimpy little see-through garments around a brother (laughs) who had all a man's strong physical needs. And a brother who was always so frustrated by everything and everyone. I had played upon his needs, testing my femininity, having my own burning yearnings for oh, fulfillment.
0: For fuck's sake, yeah. I but mean, that is so disturbing th- to
1: think that it is the worst uh, thing I've ever read in my entire life. Young
0: women everywhere sitting around reading that. And, book. And, and
1: and you know, it's not like if you decide you want to start raping people, you just turn that shit on and off. If you decide you want to start raping people, that's a problem. One that no, you bury your nose in a book. <laughs> yeah. so
0: that's all you got to oh, do. God. Just 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 take a walk around the attic. Yeah. And deciding you
1: want to fuck your sister, um, even if you're cooped up, uh, probably isn't a normal reaction. And just because you are the product of incest doesn't mean you are now genetically predisposed to start fucking your sister.
0: Or raping her, for that matter. I mean, it's funny because I do remember, you know, I mean, we've talked about the fact, Todd, that you and I both read Stephen King when we were probably way too young to read <laughs> right. stephen king. and i definitely remember like the sex in stephen king books was a big part of why i read them do you know what mm-hmm. i mean like by the age of 12 or 13 it was like oh i'm not supposed to be reading this book but part of what you know i was waiting for sex scenes in stephen king books luckily stephen king books are actually well written and yeah. you know i feel feel like there's a, a sense of even no matter how absurd stephen king's uh you know, universe may be, there's a sense of realism in the prose and realism in the characters that I still appreciate to this day. Uh, the fact that this book plays on that those same impulses that kids feel like, you know, they're interested in sex and they're, they're kind of, I, I can see it like an 11 year old, in an 11 year old mindset, you're confusing your. Burgeoning sexuality with the feelings you have for your parents and your brothers and sisters, but to make a whole book about that is just so weird. And, if and then the fact that a hundred-page book. Yeah, but but you, <laughs> she was she she hit on something, right? Because yeah. it's so popular, and and all of her books apparently follow this formula. They all have incest in them. They all have some sort of you know. And I, I was thinking about like, what if Faulkner had written this book? Because I mean, if you think about it, an old Southern, big Southern <laughs> That's house or s- <laughs> yeah. No, no. no well, but what if Faulkner had written. Story had incest in his books. books. Like how would? Because the idea of incest, old family mm. history, revelations about what your grandparents it's and your parents did—it's very Faulknerian. The fact that there's this giant house in Virginia where you know secrets are kept and unearthed, and there's a, a fortune to be passed on to the right kids—like all of that is very Faulknerian. So it's not necessarily the 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 existence of this story, like if, if you told me that there's an amazing book written about kids that were locked in an attic for three years, I believe that there's a potential for that to actually be a great book. Oh, absolutely! But the, the, the way that she takes the most sensationalist parts of this narrative, and then makes the rest of the book, okay, so we go see a movie like Saw, we know what we're in for, and it's rated R. And it's like just in your face about what you're going to see. You're going to go see limbs get chopped off and it's going to be gross and make you scream and cover your eyes. And yet this book, it's sort titillating the same way. It's like, you know, luring you in. But then it makes the whole world so safe and fake and sanitized and then rationalizes the incest and makes it kind of okay and little girlish. Yeah. I feel like it's way weirder and worse in a a way. It's, like, way more kind of disturbing to me that people are reading this book than going to see Saw Well, it's just
2: poorly done. I mean, I totally agree with you that it can be done well, and I do think that we, you know, the timing of this with the Cleveland kidnappings was amazing. Um, Or, we not the kidnappings, rather, but the escape. Um and i'm really into that kind of true crime stuff as i as i know you guys are and so like i followed that really closely and i read about it obsessively for a day or two and it reminded me that there is an amazing i think an amazing novel about um, about this stuff and it's recent it's room by emma donahue have you guys read it no oh my god it's so great and it's um and in in contrast to this book it's just stunning <laughs> just stunningly different it's told from the point of view of a of a five-year-old kid who was born of rape and does has no conception of the world outside the room that he lives in but the prose is incredible because the she really thought through what it would actually feel like to be in captivity and how warped your understanding would be of the outside world
0: so well, think about the yellow wallpaper too yes you know yeah. yes exactly they're, they're, yeah there are, I mean, that's, and that's kind of what I kept thinking about when I was reading this book, is like, God, there could be a cool version of this story. Um, it would, it would be incredibly different than this version, though. <laughs> oh, my God. This version, it's,
2: so it's just bad. weak. It just doesn't make any sense. It and, and
0: it's boring,
1: because they're it's trapped so in a boring. fucking attic. So they just, they spend a lot of time cutting out flowers and playing games and, it's repetitive and
2: They're in the bathroom
1: and they you know what i i hate to say this but they don't get abused enough for it to be
0: <laughs> for, right. for it I to know be you. like powerful
1: I know you, you know, you know. It's,
0: right. well i kind of got the feeling it was almost like it, this swiss family robinson robinson Caruso element where it was like like we're going to rebuild society here in this attic and we're going to make it healthy and good for our son and daughter who are a brother and sister yeah. like it and, and and I felt like there was almost that was intentional like like VC Andrews wanted us as readers to kind of enjoy this playing house rebuilding of civilization right. and like getting back to to nature and what people are really supposed to be like if if religion had to infiltrate it because religion in this book is the source of the grandmother's insanity um, and money right money yeah. is, the, is is the root of all evil I mean they literally say like is it money that makes the world go round or love <laughs> But then the love that's offered as the alternative is the rapey brother. So, oh, to your you
2: guys' point as to what you were reading when you were teens, you know, and the more I think about this, um, like certain books are popping in my head. So, like, I didn't read these books, but what I read was um, I was reading adult books for women that were like kind of romancy, but had like one or two extremely steamy sex scenes in the middle of them. Like, um, But were they just romance novels No, no. no. Um, So, for example, um, The Horse Whisperer has, like, a crazy... It has a lot of sex in it. And I remember being like, whoa! You know, because I was reading, you know, ahead, as you guys were. I was probably, like, 14 or 15 when I read that. And then Judy Bloom wrote... um, She's a genius. Um, First of all, she has a healthy conception of sex uh, and girls' bodies. So, I think... I would recommend her to any age, but she wrote... All of a sudden, she wrote a like extremely sexy adult novel, um, and there's tons of sex in it. It's called Summer Sisters, and when it came out, everybody thought it was a YA book. Oh. So people just bought it for their daughters. And gave it
0: to their kids? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the amount of girls brilliant. I know who have had this experience is... It, many, many, like they oh just God. accidentally were like, "Oh, I'm reading the next Judy Bloom." Oh my God! Like, <laughs> what is happening? It's it's that's all sex so front to back. So there's
1: um... <laughs> front to back.
0: <laughs> but I think you know, and yeah. I think that that's I think it's good to have sex in some books, like oh, definitely. I, you know, like or or at least I mean, I think like. It spurred me to keep reading Stephen King You know like It's good It's good to read sexy scenes And like as a kid It's a safe way to explore issues of sexuality This book is not a great way to explore sexuality Like it's really disturbing I
1: know that I read this book when I was a kid I don't think I read the whole thing I think I just read the sex scenes Because there's no way that I read this whole thing And there's no fucking I must have just read the sex scenes Because when I read the sex scenes I was like oh yeah I remember this This is great (laughs) This is, like, I I viscerally remembered being at Castle Rock Elementary and being, oh, here's some sex scenes between brother and sister. Yeah.
2: And, I mean, there's so many different books and ways that we can encounter that. And I I just think that there's books where it's just part of the plot and that's, like, a normal, unhealthy way to experience it.
1: Uh, You know what? I, I just, I found the book Despicable. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I really, I, it, right. I had a really visceral ugh, experience while reading it. As, as I, the we should note for our listeners that sometimes the three of us talk when we're not on the air together. And last night, uh, as we were all reading this book, we had an email exchange <laughs> that uh, I believe included me saying that I found graffiti more nuanced than this book. I, yeah. I just, uh, it made my skin crawl. The whole book There did. really
0: is no such thing as nuance in this No, book.
1: there's no is, nuance like, at all.
0: Exposition.
1: There's, no, there's not an inch of subtext in this book. No. Uh, it's completely yeah. on the nose, the whole thing.
0: There is this this moral element, too. Like, if you're going to write about a kidnapping or people damaged by being trapped in an attic, like, don't you kind of owe it to the world uh, to actually represent them as human beings? And, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so you can actually feel some of the horror of that and, like, the, the pain uh, of that. Yeah. Instead of making it, like, a, a porno. Like, instead of making it, like, this steamy, sexy, kind of fun robinson Crusoe you think like it's just such a messed it's up totally it's like,
2: underage rape yes. porno written by right. this old lady it's sort of
0: like i mean can you imagine if like lolita wasn't incredibly well written like it you know i mean what the, the the lasciviousness of lolita is sort of the least interesting part you know what's great about lolita is his mm-hmm. ab- ability to to imbue these characters, especially our narrator with so much realism and to make him a fully full fledged fucked up individual that you can't stand, but you have to keep reading because it's so well written and so well representative right. of, you know, a certain mindset and a certain mentality. And it's just great. And it, and it, it just elevates a, an otherwise lurid subject matter and, or tantalizing subject matter. And here it doesn't like she just plays to the most base, impulses of the reader and just makes it as trashy and thrilling and sexy as possible and there is something morally objectionable about that like i yeah, you know yeah,
2: yeah exactly like she's not yeah. elevating a, a lurid subject she's lowering yes. a real horrible thing that happens to yes. people
0: and she's and not only that but she's she i mean she puts incest into every corner so it's like it's not like it's not like yes. there's one instant of of incest or she makes every relationship sexy. Like Bathing the Twins kind of has sexual overtones. Like oh, I said, the mommy wings. Like thing's all gross. of it has this bizarre vibe to it that I just I, I think it's there. Like it's not can,
1: can I can I recommend a, a a interesting and still uh nauseating incest book and that is the memoir The Kiss by Katherine oh, yeah. Harrison which is her book about the consensual sexual relationship she had with her father when she was in her 20s. It's a horrifying, riveting book, extraordinarily well-written. And it it also makes you want to take a shower with all your clothes on afterwards. But for those of you who are fascinated by incest, I don't know how many of you are, that's an interesting book. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think what this book has shown us is that we need to read something good next. So um, we can only read really one horrible novel every couple months or else I, I'm going to kill myself.
2: Don't be dramatic. I'm going to lock you in an attic.
1: And I, I feel like we need to do a PSA here real quick. If any of you are listening to this podcast while trapped in an attic and you're being held captive by your grandmother your grandmother is old you can knock her the (laughs) fuck over and get out that that is my message to you trapped in the attic 15 year old boy you can fuck you can (laughs) fuck up your grandmother you can my my nana god bless her i could have taken her out
0: that's it for this week's literary disco join us in two weeks when we discuss crooked letter crooked letter a novel by tom franklin like us on facebook facebook.com slash literary disco and follow us on twitter at literary disco thanks for listening